You guys doing okay? It's really weird being up here. Um, that's okay. So we're working through the book of John, and we are now continuing in John chapter 6. How many of you guys remember what last week we talked about? Anyone? You can even refer to your notes. What was the story we talked about last week? Somebody. Because I know some of y'all were here. Now look, if you can't remember what we talked about last week, y'all better be reflecting about your life choices. Not that the sermon was good, but that maybe you're not paying attention during church when you should be. I'm waiting. What was it? Oh. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. So I'm hungry, right? Mark's on it. We talked about the feeding of the 5,000. Now, what we realize is the feeding of the 5,000 wasn't just 5,000 because when they were being counted, they were counting the men. So what they ended up discovering is that there might have been 12,000 to 15,000 people who ended up being there. And Jesus performed this miracle, and the crowd is getting excited. How many of you guys have ever thought to yourself that if you saw a miracle, your whole life would change? Participating church. All right. You know what? I believed that for the longest time and, until I saw miracles. And then I saw miracles, and then I didn't believe them. Right? And my life didn't change because of the miracle. I'll tell you this. The one thing that has changed my life is the miracle of Jesus Christ dying on the cross and raising from the grave three days for the atonement of my sin. And that is the only one miracle that has the power to bring transformation to me. Amen? Amen? So what ended up happening um, in this story is Jesus performs the miracle of feeding the thousands. And then they have leftover baskets later, just an abundance full. And um, the crowd wants more of it. They want more miracles. So um, I guess kind of three points from last week. God cares about our physical condition but he cares less about that, or he cares more about our spiritual condition. Amen? God desires to partner with his people. God desires to partner with you today. We see it all throughout scripture. And then the final thing we discussed last week was that God supplies our needs when we give him whatever we have. No holding back, just giving him whatever you have. So today I want to ask you the question, rhetorical question, and I actually want to give you a moment to think about it. Why are you following Jesus? Because today we're going to see there's two groups of people, and each of them are following Jesus for different reasons. Why are you following Jesus? See, in this story, we, we have the two groups that I'm referencing. And, and, and we have the one group where they surrender everything that they have. They leave their life. They leave or forsake everything that they've ever been given. Or they give up the food that's provided or 
give up the food that would protect their family. The servant boy, right? So the servant boy, last week, he ends up giving up his livelihood. Here, Jesus, I give you everything. Everything that I have. I'm not holding anything back from you. So that's, that's one group. Is that you today? Is that you? Is that me who's willing to say, Jesus, I give you my livelihood? I trust you with it? Or are we following Jesus like the other people? See, the crowd. The crowd followed him for his entertainment and his miracles. See, really interesting to me. We keep on talking about these large movements. Large movements, large movements, large movements. And most of the large movements that we ever see in Scripture was against Christ. Most of them were. See, it was the majority that put Jesus on the cross. And here we see 15,000 people who are following Jesus because they want to be entertained and they want to be fed. Is church on Sunday? Wait, I'm not even going to ask you guys that question because I'm not very entertaining. You stumble through what I read. But I do want to ask you that question. Do you come to church for yourself or to be entertained? Or do you come to church because you want to give God everything that you have? And it's greater than coming to church. How about this? Do you identify with Christ so that maybe he'll, he'll serve you? Or do you identify with Christ so that you can serve him? Which one are you today? So what we're going to see is that this crowd is following Jesus because they loved seeing a man perform miracles. And I don't know how um, isolated we are, um, how many teachings you guys pursue online, how much of the big kingdom church that you pay attention to, big kingdom meaning churches other than those within Champaign County, those outside of Ohio. But right now what we see is this move towards Christ's power and uh, miracles and healing we, we see these things, just, just a pursuit, and it's almost like, if you're not walking in this, then you are missing the move of God. And I say to myself, I just want to reflect and look to Scripture. Because we see a crowd here that's following Jesus for miracles. I see a generation that's pursuing Christ for miracles. I see movements started in stadiums filled based upon Miracles. So how do we know that they were only following Jesus because they wanted to see miracles? John chapter 6, verse 2. A great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. <laughs> so a great cr crowd of people followed him because they saw the sign, signs he had performed by healing the sick. So this crowd is following him because he healed someone. Entertainment. We go to Ohio State football games because it's fun. Maybe we follow Jesus because it's fun. But just because we follow him doesn't mean we intimately know him. Now some may say, what's wrong with following Jesus because of miracles? What's wrong with that? 
They love seeing Jesus' power rather than actually putting faith in him. See, that's where we can get stuck. We get so infatuated with Jesus' power that we miss the power that he actually wants us to receive. They miss the purpose. I mean, really, from a fleshly standpoint, what's better than watching God perform a miracle and having a full belly? What's better than that? I mean, imagine right here, maybe we have Cain's chicken, maybe we have Chick-fil-A, maybe we have um, IHOP pancakes. <laughs> Look, anyone notice what I'm not mentioning? Oh, thank you. See, I can change. The Lord can work on my heart. <laughs> so... Imagine being full of your favorite food right now, and Jesus, the, pre the tangible presence of Jesus being here, and then he just says, hey, give me, give me half your Chipotle burrito, and then out of nowhere, just the elders start bringing you unlimited Chipotle burritos exactly how you wanted them. That would be fun, wouldn't it? And you know what you'd probably go do? Here's how messed up, and a lot of this is free today so far. This is how messed up we are as a church, is we would go tell our friends to get here, to see the miracle of Chipotle in a healing before we tell our friends to get here in urgency about the miracle of Jesus dying on the cross and raising from the grave. Do you guys see that within yourself? If miracles were happening up here every Sunday, you would say, go get here, you're going to see a miracle. But we, we, we proclaim it and we understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, but yet we have a hard time telling anyone. See, we got to reflect. So Jesus understands what's going on here because these people, these 15,000 people are following him because they're stuck on miracles. I wonder how many people are traveling place to place trying to see God's power on display but in reality, never want to surrender to him. I've been in venues with 60,000 people, 50,000, 40, 15, 2,000 people. And just, um, I was sent to a conference once. Um, and when I was sent to this conference for leadership training, um, everyone kind of got sick and they couldn't be there. So I was the only one who went to this. And I walk in and I'm okay with most things that are going on until much of the teaching started to take place. And all the teaching started to talk about was God's power and God's miracles and everything that God wanted to do through you and, and give you the power and you've got the power. And, and I'm like, you know what? Like, I understand some of that. But when I read scripture, it's still, you know, even uh, Joseph, what does Joseph say? It's not me who has the interpretation, but it's Christ who gives it to me. Anything that we do always comes from Christ himself. I am no deity, and you are no deity yourself. It all comes from Christ. So I ended up walking in after a lunch break, and um, they have a bunch of flaggers going on, and your expression of worship, we really believe in um, a safe place for you to express yourself during worship here at Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship. So if it's being mindful, and, and you grab a flag, and you worship, 
Be, be biblical about it. Don't draw attention to yourself. If you need to respond at the altar, if you want to raise your hands, if you need prayer, then we want to have that freedom of expression of worship here. So I walk in, and while I walk in, a lady comes to me and she says, God told me that you need to flag. And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> no, he didn't. Could, could you imagine me flagging? And I'm like, like, no, no thank you. And she says, no, God told me that you need to flag and breakthroughs come into your life when you flag. I'm like, sorry, woman. And now we're playing like the shopping cart game where you're trying to get past and then she's playing defense. She's playing like Aaron Craft defense, if anyone gets that reference. Lockdown defense on me and not letting me get to my seat. It's like, look, I'm not, I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're trying to get at. I'm just not feeling that. The power of God is in this flag. You need to worship with it. And I said, look, the power of God is in his scriptures and in the blood of Jesus. I'm gonna go find my seat and sit down. And I go sit down and then worship starts and I worship how I feel led to worship. But what I recognized was we were in a crowd. We were in a crowd of people who, who was so stuck on the power of Christ that they missed or it felt like, I, I don't want to accuse them, it felt like everyone there was missing the point of why we were actually there to exalt the king over everything. That's what it feels like right now that this crowd is doing. They're making Jesus into something that he actually didn't come for. They had idol worship. They were idolizing power. They were misled by their hearts. All that they wanted to see was food, and we're going to get to that in verse 26. And they wanted to see victory, which will come in verse 16, or sorry, 15. They wanted to see victory over the Roman government. Essentially, all that they wanted was to feel safe. Isn't that what we want all the time? just to feel safe. Let's get to today's scripture, verse 14, John chapter six. After the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. So they see this miracle and knowing the Old Testament scriptures, they're starting to make a connection here. What's the connection? They start to say, hey, look, Moses, Moses was a man who had manna from heaven come to earth. So there, a miracle came from him and prophet Moses. So surely Jesus, since, since now he's providing manna from heaven and he seems to be able to do it whenever he wants, he too is the next prophet. Jesus provided supernatural food like Moses now he will deliver us from Rome just as Moses delivered um, God's people from Egypt. So they're starting to make this connection, right? They're under great observation, persecution from the Roman government. They don't want Caesar to continually lord over them. So they say, this can be the guy that can help us out. Now, 
Nothing, they said nothing can prevent this man from being the liberator that they want him to be. Like, who of you can perform a miracle? We, 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 we can't. So they recognize that Jesus can perform miracles. They've heard of water to wine. They've probably heard a few other stories of healings that have taken place, but now they've seen it in action, live action. And since they've seen it in live action, what they realize is, this is the guy who can overthrow the Roman government. Who can stop him? Nothing can stand against him. So they were going to make him king. And um, if he wasn't willing to assume it, guess what? They were going to force it on him. See, what they were trying to do is to make a puppet of Jesus based upon their desire. Jesus is not a puppet of our desire. We should be a slave to his. How many of you guys have ever tried to make Jesus a puppet of your desire? I have. I probably even tried to do it this week. And then you know what's interesting? Is I try to take God's big picture. And I say, hey, hey dude, you need to do this for me. Like, do what I want you to do. Because I know what's best for my life. And then he doesn't do it, right? And then when he doesn't do it, I say, I don't have faith in him. I don't believe him anymore. Why would a good God let this happen to me? Or I just need to say, God is not a puppet of my desires. I'm to surrender everything to him. Verse 15 Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. This is really fascinating to me. What we understand is Jesus came to save that which was lost. Jesus came as king, as healer, as deliverer. And now what's happening is the world is trying to make him the king. And guess what he did? He runs from it. See, the 5,000 people, or 15,000, I guess, see how powerful God is, and they decided this. Look, he feeds us. He provides entertainment for us and has power. Let's make him overtake Rome. But Jesus knew their intent. And if Jesus knew their intent, Jesus knows my intent. And Jesus knows your intent. What he knew was this, is they're having an emotional, emotional response to an encounter that they had. I remember, I've told you before, at this event with 60,000 people, my friends are giving their life to Christ. And then the next week, after giving their life to Christ, they're doing the same thing that they did. Right? How about this? On the van ride home, they're doing the same thing that they once did. What happened is why they, gave their, why they gave up something or repented or confessed of their sin during the moment was why? It was an emotional response to the experience that they were having. Oh, shoot. Um, I guess it's not relevant because I can't think of the band's name. Um, yeah, either way. They were having an emotional resp response to the encounters that they were having. They were following him out of wrong motives. 
Jesus understood that if they, test, uh, if they were tested, that their faith wouldn't be in him. They were unable to see the need that they actually had. Not an earthly king, but a heavenly father. They were missing it at this point. So Jesus, knowing that it was not his time, guess what he did? He withdrew. Again, um, fascinating for me. Why did Jesus withdraw from a crowd that he had 15,000 people at? Um, because we must be tuned in with what the Father's saying. We must be tuned in with what the Father is doing. See, um, modern day evangelists uh, would, would tell us a different story. See, we're often told that we can't walk away from the crowd. We have 15,000 people here, we can't walk away from them. We're often told that Jesus came to heal everyone and to meet everyone's needs. So why is it like Macy and I were formal, formally uh, trained in that Jesus wants to heal everyone and Jesus is going to heal everyone, which is true. Now, when's he gonna do that? I guarantee you Jesus wants to do that, but the timing of that might be once we get to heaven. Amen? So I cannot force Jesus into my agenda right now and say, heal this person. Because Jesus actually walks away from the crowd on occasions. Do you guys hear that often? Jesus walked away from a crowd who seemingly was interested in him to a certain degree. Ministry could have been had. We must be in tune with the Father. Here we see Jesus' withdrawal. Now, don't use this as a reason to sin. Just because Jesus withdrew here doesn't mean that you have the option to always withdraw. As, as humans, we're, we're people of such like um, fads and extremes so what I don't want you to hear today is, hey, when I, when I leave today, be, and why I bring this up is because we went through the book of James, and we went through the book of Acts, and it's like works. God tells us that faith without works is dead. But then now you're like, Joey, you're preaching something different. I'm not preaching something different. What, what, what I continually want the focus to be is unity with Christ and intimacy with the Father in such a way that you know when to hold them and you know when to fold them. There's a song about that, isn't it? You want me to sing it? My song's not ready yet. God's just on the chorus. Jesus withdrew. And I'm sharing that simply because I want our theology to understand that... Um, God is God and he does things his way. Jesus doesn't answer to you or I. Jesus walks away from situations even when there is faith that he can do it. I put this in my notes, I took it out of my notes and now I'm putting it back in my notes. 
What's interesting to me is the invalid. You guys remember the invalid? That was still in the book of John. We did it a few weeks ago. So um, the invalid had no faith. And if he had any faith, his faith was all in the wrong things. Right? What was his faith in? An angel maybe touching the water and maybe someone throwing him in the water and getting healed. But the invalid had no faith, and guess what happens? He gets healed, right? We're taught by modern-day evangelists that if you have enough faith, and if you believe long enough, and if you stir up enough faith that you will be healed, but yet Scripture shows us that the invalid had none, and if he had any, it was in all the wrong things, not Jesus Christ alone, and he still got healed. Now what we see is actually a crowd of 15,000 people following Jesus because they have enough faith that he will heal, that he will deliver, that he can perform miracles. And what does he do? He walks away from it. You guys see that connection? Please do not ever believe that if you stir up enough faith that you're going to be an evangelist or Billy Graham or Paul the Apostle and start healing people. It all comes back to the will of the Father. So we must be in tune with that. Verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now, it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. So, yeah, I'll get to it. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, um, walking on the water. They were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately, the boat reached the shore where they were headed. So, Jesus had not yet joined them. So, really what that's insinuating to us is Jesus had had a conversation. Hey, I want you to row across the lake um, or the sea. It's not really a sea. It's um, really a big lake, bigger than any lake we have here in Ohio, but not as big as the Great Lakes. Not even close to as big. Either way, um, he says, hey, I'll meet up with you here in a little bit. Start rowing. I'll see you later. So there was some kind of conversation that was had. But while they were rowing, a storm came about. Which is interesting because they, they were frightened. Right, they, they see Jesus walking, or they see a man walking across the water. And while this man is walking across the water, they're frightened. The same people who have seen miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle are now facing a storm. And while they're facing this storm, guess what? They've forgotten about all the heavenly intervention that has taken place the several months before. And they were frightened by this man walking on water. So we can see all the miracles we want. We can see all the power that we want or need. And we're continually going to have doubt. 
The disciples in this moment had doubt that intervention was coming from heaven. How dare them, right? They were frightened. Either way, um, seeing doesn't always translate to believing. They bring him on boat. And they bring him on the boat. And what's interesting is, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. So another miracle, what appears to be another miracle took place, which is just often overlooked. They were out uh, in the water, and then Jesus hops on the boat, and immediately they were at the shore. Praise God. Let's move on. Verse 22. The next day the crowd had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake, and they realized that only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples. But they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and they went to Capernaum in search for Jesus. Incessant people. See, we can go get, we can get so stuck on what we want Jesus to be for him and we can fake a hunger. We can fake a hunger that we're going to this conference or that conference or this teaching or that teaching or this Bible study or that Bible study when in reality we're going for our own agenda. They're not searching after Jesus because pretty soon here in John chapter six, he's gonna, he's gonna tell them that, hey, I'm the bread of life. So essentially, in their minds, he's saying, you got to eat me. And then Jesus tells, um, you know, drink of my blood and eat of my flesh. Sounds kind of weird, isn't it? Now, we understand what he's saying a couple thousand years later. But they weren't following Jesus for that purpose. They were following Jesus because they wanted him to be who they wanted him to be. So they're incessantly looking for him, want to find him. They want more miracles. I want more power. I want more things my way. Verse 25. When they found him on the, uh, on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? You, <laughs> we got any creepers in here? <laughs> like maybe in just junior high. You had a boyfriend or you had a girl or a boy that you wanted to see and, and you kind of knew their class schedule. So instead, you're like, hey, you know, I realize that every day she's walking in front of me, so I'm going to take the long way around the school and I'm going to go down the other hallway so that we cross paths. And then you say like, oh, hey, Macy, wh what are you doing here? I didn't know you had class during this time. Anyone ever been a creeper like that? Come on. Come on now. Y'all shared your marriage stories. Don't make me call you out. You just happen to know she got off work at five. And you just happen to be walking into the IGA. That's what they're doing here. Oh, Jesus, what are you doing here? Liar. Jesus still knows their intent. You can't put on a fake facade in front of Christ. Verse 26, 
Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Jesus doesn't go right in to why he came, but he told them why they keep following him. They were rebuked by him. Y'all just want more food from heaven. That's the only reason you're coming after me. You are not interested in me, just entertainment I can bring. So I ask you again, why are you following Jesus? Why are you following Jesus? For him to serve you or for you to serve him? Now look, of course, you're going to answer correctly here in church. Of course we would. I ask myself often, why am I following Jesus? I get to those hard parts in my day where it's like, I wanted, God, I want to do this and I want you to do that, but why am I following you? And it's not about me. How about this? What does your life say about why you are following Jesus? Your actions, your words, the way that you love people and forgive people. What does your life say about it? I want my life to be all about Christ. So they're following him because of what he can do for them. Verse 27, and this is where we're going to get to see a piece of the gospel. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed the seal of approval. Don't pursue food that spoils. Jesus is simply rebuking their materialistic minds. Because all that they want are things, materialistic things that's going to be pleasing to them. And what he's saying is all of your pursuits, all of these things that you keep on chasing after to bring you peace or happiness, you keep on chasing after me for this miracle that comes from heaven. But that miracle of bread and food does nothing for you because even that bread by which Jesus called down to earth or just made poof happen, guess what it'll do? It'll still spoil. You can eat that bread and you will still be hungry again. So he's rebuking them. You carnal minds. You materialistic people. What are you doing? Just like the woman at the well, right? You guys remember that? That was actually in John too. That was in the book of John. You're like, we get over yourself. Pray for me, please. So what happens with the woman at the well? She's coming, and she initially, when she's talking to Jesus, what does she say? She says, hey, I need some water. And you're telling me that if I drink this water, I'll never have to come get drink water again? What was her focus first on? Receiving water by which she didn't have to ever come to the well again. 
So it reminds me of that a little bit. Um, yeah. Jesus is the living word, the bread of life. Jesus is the living water. Essentially, this scripture is saying Jesus is the food we are to eat, and he is our food that will sustain us unto eternity. That's it. As we pursue and receive from Christ, he alone will, oh my gosh, sustain us into eternity. We can't be missed, or we can't miss the scripture. Jesus, the Son of Man, is the only one who can give you life. No materialistic thing can bring life to you. Only Christ. What gave Jesus this authority to say this? Well, the seal of approval given by God. This certifies Jesus as the one approved to move in this manner and distribute, distribute food that lasts forever. What's the food that lasts forever? His body that was broken and crushed for you and I. His blood that was spilt for you and I. So I know I've often joked where I've said, taste and see that the Lord is good. What's he really referring to when he says, taste and see that the Lord is good? Walk in remembrance and understanding and, and taste that, that bread, that body that was spilt or that was broken on the cross for you. Eat, eat that taste, taste his bread that will sustain, why, why, why can I not say that today? Sustain you, sustain you, sustain you into eternity. It's the bright lights up here today. It's, it's a new stage. So he says, eat the bread, drink the water. These things last forever. And Jesus has the authority to do that. We're almost done. Two more verses for today. Then they asked him, verse 28, what must we do to do the works God requires? Interesting. What kind of works do I have to do? I know the church has been asking that question, right? We've been asking that question recently. What works must I do, God? What works does God require of you and I? See, if we're not following the Father closely, uh, we too will ask this question a lot. What works must I do? So to make verse 27 real quick, a little bit clearer, Jesus wasn't telling them to do awesome works. He was mostly saying don't pursue material things that don't last. But still they ask the silly question. What does God require us to do? Give us something to do, God. We want to become little gods. We want to perform miracles. We want to do the stuff. Anyone in here ever wanted to do the stuff? I've wanted to do the stuff. John Wimber once said, uh, creator of the Vineyard Movement, he was mad at God and um, not really mad at him, just frustrated. And he said, um, 
God, I see the church, but where's the stuff? And there's a valid question because I still believe in the stuff. Don't hear a cessationist today. The stuff is real and alive and active. Miracles happen today. God delivers, God heals, God sets people free. God does all those things. God saves us. All those things happen, but our focus needs to be on Christ. But either way, this group of people saying, I want to do the stuff. Please help me. Please, please train me. Please send me to a 10-step a course of how to do the stuff. Please send me to a school of su supernatural ministry to learn how to do the stuff. And they're still missing it. They somehow think that within themselves that if God were to tell them what to do, that they could do it. We think that as well. God, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. We can't. He's already told us what to do and we couldn't do it. And that's why Jesus had to die on the cross for us. Amen? So they're saying, just give me a list of things that I can do and I will do it. They thought that they could meet any challenge that God put before them. And they were missing at this point that eternal life is a gift from God alone. Why are we always trying to earn our favor with God? It's what we continually try to do. Earn it. So Jesus says, let me give you eternal life. And that's the bread that he's talking about. This bread that I want to give you, it's, it's going to sustain you unto eternal life. So you want materialistic bread. I want to give you bread that leads to eternal life. So Jesus makes it plain. He gives them a list of works that they must do. Now, please, if you have a pen and paper ready, please get it ready. And just wave it at me. Wave it like you don't care. Hey. All right. We got those taking notes. Or if you're taking notes on your phone, show me like, give me those. All right. We got some notes in here. Get ready. This list is pretty big. Jesus tells you right here what you have to do. He's going to make it plain. I want, we have a lot to get through right here. Verse 29, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one who he has sent. Write it down. What does God require? What works must we do? Right here. Verse 29. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. The work that God requires is faith. Now this isn't faith in miracles. This isn't faith in an abstract being. Rather, it's faith in the one that God has sent. Amen. That's it. Um, I imagine they got the point, right? Now, is there any confusion now um, when I say that it's not about works, it's about faith? I know that as we wrestled through James, and, and I loved the tension that we faced as a church as we went through James. 
And we should still be in that tension constantly of um, flex and relax between us and Scripture. There should always be that tension. But you should never hear that it's about, about your works. Now, again, um, don't use that as a reason to sin, right? Because what did James tell us? If you know the good you ought to do and you don't do it, it's a sin. But it's not your good works that earn your way to heaven. And I'll make this plain real quick. I believe that if you're born again, truly born again, that works will come out of your life. But works never earn your way to heaven. Plain? So you can't call me a prosperity preacher or a uh, works preacher, right? Just show this clip. All right, let's move on. Verse 30, and then we're done. So they asked him, because they certainly understand now. They asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? What do they keep on trying to do? Pull on God's leg and man manipulate Jesus to do another miracle. I just want to see the stuff again. They've already seen the stuff. So why are they asking again? Because they want to see more. They want to see more of the stuff. If you want us to believe, then do another miracle. Do it again. We like it. I know that the power of God is fun, but it should never be the focus. So grace and works is complicated, isn't it? Because what do we see in this passage today? It's all about God's grace. But grace and works is complicated. Here's what I understand about Scripture. When you put your faith in the one true king, when you truly believe that um, Jesus was the son of God, of virgin birth, sinless, that he was murdered on the cross for our sin, that he resurrected three days later, when you believe those things and you put your faith in him, you will be saved. When you put your trust in him. Now, don't just talk about it. You can't just follow him. You can't just be a part of the crowd. You can't just attend church, right? These people probably thought that they were saved when in reality, what do we understand about scripture? They weren't. They didn't put their faith in Jesus Christ. They had an idea of who Christ was and they saw miracles and that's why I continually go back to they saw miracles, they saw deliverance, they saw um, miracles and then they saw um, prophecy. But yet they still missed the one true king. Putting your faith in him doesn't mean that you just talk about it but you do it. Um, you guys have heard the illustration before. What good is it for me to talk about a parachute and jumping out of a plane, but then never doing it? See, I can talk all that I want about how much I trust a parachute, but the fact of the matter is, guess what? I don't. I don't trust a parachute. I'm not going up 10,000 feet and jumping out of a plane. I don't trust it. I also don't like heights. Why is it that many of us say that we trust the parachute? in the parachute meaning Christ, but yet we never jump off the ledge. 
So faith and trust in Christ is not talking about the parachute. Trust and faith in Christ is jumping off the ledge, believing that the parachute will do its work. And here's what I trust. That nothing that I can, nothing, I can do nothing that can ever earn my way to heaven. My family sin that goes, goes back to Adam, the very blood that's in me um, makes me deserve hell. But it's all by Christ and I have faith that when he died on the cross and he rose three days later, that his blood pours over my life and over my sin. And he says, get in here, you good and faithful servant, not because of how good I am, but because I put my faith like a skydiver puts their faith in a parachute and I trusted Jesus with everything that I have. Amen? Putting your faith in Christ is trusting him that he is king over all your sin. Let's pray. Father, help our motives today. Reveal to us why we're following you. I pray that we would follow you for real reasons because we understand we need a savior. Father, I pray that um, every area that we're deceived, that you would keep on revealing them to us. Increase your presence with us this week. Father, help us understand the scriptures. And we, may we bow our knee and put our faith in you for real reasons this week. In Jesus' name, amen.